0: Hello, everybody. It's Dr. Sophie returning back to our podcast. Hope everyone is doing well. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for all of your support and listening. Questions, answers, comments, I appreciate it all. We're back this week for part two of substance abuse in teens, and this week we're going to be focusing mostly on teen substance abuse treatment, which is really very difficult to find these days, especially on high levels. If the need is really high, like the teen really has been using or definitely isn't going to really benefit from just a good solid outpatient program where they live at home, go to groups, have a sponsor, where they really need to change their environment, go inside and live within a sober environment with other professionals and other people and peers going through the same type of situation. They're very difficult kinds of programs to find and as you know uh, it's very difficult also identify teen substance abuse cuz a lot of times kids are rebelling they're in that phase they're developmental and you know sometimes some of that is okay and parents don't know when to draw that line but they also don't know if that line is drawn or if they have that suspicion what they should do and how to get treatment so that's what we're going to be talking about today teen substance abuse treatment call me back 1855 Sophie Now or 18557674966 what are your thoughts What are your concerns? Have you had any treatment? Do you know of a great place for treatment? And we're going to be talking to a service provider, a treatment provider for teen substance abuse, getting their ideas, getting some of the pitfalls, some of the things they've learned, some of their focuses, some of what they do as their expertise, and ways that they would have my listeners really start to take a look at what do we do when we think somebody might have a issue, or someone we love, or someone's child we know, and how to tell another parent, all those kinds of things, and then also where to go get the treatment and what the treatment actually looks like. So come on back one eight five five Sophie now, or 4966 seven six seven four nine six six. We're here talking today on uh, uh, Dr. Sophie substance abuse treatment uh, for teens. Some of the things I just want to kind of throw out there just as FYI so you know, teen drug use is really a reality in most schools. And we need to face that. We need to understand that your child, if they're not using, are sitting next to, having lunch to, interacting with, on a team with, in a school activity, or somehow connected to some teen who is probably using drugs on some level, whether it's an experimentation or it's not. And alcohol is by far the greatest drug in use, and the next of all the other drugs is marijuana, and the two of them are very easily accessible. So we can't close our eyes, we can't close our minds, our bodies, our hearts to this. It is happening. We do need to keep our eye on it, and we do need experts like we're going to have on today to talk to us about some of the ways to be warned, what to do, how to get treatment, and what does treatment actually look like. So joining me today is Scott Van Camp, who is the director of the Orange County Adolescent Services for the Phoenix House. Phoenix House, just really quickly, is one of the greatest providers that I've ever worked with because they do focus on teens. They do focus on teens inside and outside in their treatment program. They have a way to bring someone in in case they need that level, which we'll talk about with Scott. And they also have a way to integrate them back into their community from inpatient or Put them in outpatient to see if that's the best fit for them and then integrate them or go into inpatient if they need it but the bottom line is Phoenix house is a great substance abuse provider for teens which is a population that there is not a whole lot out there for so Scott are you with me
1: I am Dr. Sophie I'm very excited to be here
0: thank you me too I want to talk a little bit about you first you are a Phoenix house person employee since 2010 you've been there as the director for the rap program in what Orange County
1: Correct. Yeah, okay. I initiated the RAP program here. We started it from its inception.
0: And, you're, and a, uh, you're a licensed marriage and family therapist, and you have been doing a lot of this kind of stuff for, what, about 20-some 20 years? Uh, <laughs> 23 years
1: now, 22 yeah. Years.
0: And, um, and you've had every range of job from down in the trenches to now being the director. So you have a lot of experience. You've seen it all, and you've actually done it all, which is actually making you a much better director. Uh,
1: correct, yeah. A lot of passion for this field, and uh, I'm very fortunate to be with Phoenix House.
0: So tell me what Wraparound actually is and how that was implemented and why it was implemented.
1: Sure. Uh, Wraparound is a very intensive um, outpatient group of services, and it's more of a philosophy than just really a group of services. Um, basically what it does is that when we receive a referral um, for youth and the youth is in jeopardy of losing their placement within their home, um, we uh, first you know welcome and engage that youth, and then the whole family becomes the client. So basically, our our focus becomes on the entire family, and keeping the family together.
0: So, just so my listeners are clear, it's a mental health service that Um, has no. It's very interesting that,
1: yeah, it's very interesting. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist, and the program does require oversight by such a qualified individual. Um, And our the services that are provided are very grassroots. Um, There's three main um, people on the team from Wraparound. We have a care coordinator, like a case manager a youth partner who works intensively with the youth directly, and then a parent partner, um, which is a very interesting position because it's experientially based. Um, It's not a formal education type position, but a lot of life experience and, again, a lot of passion. So we cover the full gamut of approach to families and engaging them.
0: And someone, if a family wants to get involved in Wraparound, they need to be, have had to be an inpatient service with you for their teen, or they could be outpatient, or neither?
1: Uh, No, that's a really good question, actually. Right now, it's not interconnected as such. Um, The referrals come from social service agency uh, as well as from the probation department. Um, Once they come in like that, in Orange County, there's seven provider agencies, and it's assigned to one of those provider agencies as a case. And um, then we work with them from here. We do have some cases where we have um, youths and families that are in wraparound, and then later they are referred um, for treatment in Phoenix House. And that um, tr- or other substance abuse providers also.
0: Right, and that treatment can either be inpatient, outpatient dictated on the need and what you guys feel as the evaluator of that family.
1: Correct, yes, yes. And it's, it's very much based on the paradigm of Wraparound is very much based on family voice and family choice. Right. It's very much a strength-based program. So it has a lot to do with um, what the family wants and what they feel would be best.
0: When you say strength-based, listeners, what does that mean to them? That means that they... <laughs> yeah, that's the big one. Yeah. Um, Strength-based is a, a way to actually engage
1: um, people. It's, it's what we're embracing here at Phoenix House. And that's that When we first meet them, rather than a deficit-based, like what's wrong with the family or what's wrong with the youth, um, we look at what's right in their life, um, what they do well, and we celebrate and honor those things. And it really, we find that it gives us a much more accurate assessment of what the needs really are. And, that's... and a lot of that is, is based on the, the trust and um, I guess, the the collaborative partnership that's formed in that process.
0: So then the strengths that you identify in this individual and this family or the teen and his parents or whatever are the building blocks of a foundation for you then to build the plan moving forward?
1: Yeah, Dr. Sophie, I mean, it can go as, as far as like, I mean, I, th- I think that's a great, um, you know, lay description. And to go clinically into it.
0: Can you, can you uh, hear me? In,
1: yes, I can. Um, in, in recognizing uh, the importance of the idea of ambivalence, especially with teens uh, regarding their substance right. use, uh, it helps us to um, help them to understand what they're getting from their substance abuse, um, as well as the life areas that are being negatively impacted. Um, and then we can provide that psychoeducation. Right. We find that providing a high degree of, of confrontation initially yeah. really just alienates people.
0: Right, it just scares them. Correct. Even though they act Correct. like they're angry, they're really frightened.
1: Uh, not very often. That's the case. Yeah, belongingness, usefulness, and competence. thats what people tend to need. Yeah, you know? myself that.
0: included. Say that one more time. Oh
1: sure, belongingness, usefulness, and a sense of competency yes. in their world.
0: Yes, you have All to feel them. like you're needed and you're wanted, and you have something to bring. Yeah, and everyone does. Absolutely. Okay, so tell me—we have a mom or a dad listening to us, and they're they're finding they're concerned about their son who or daughter who is you know somewhere between thirteen and eighteen. How would they, what are they supposed to look for if they think somebody's using or they think their kid is around people who are using? Are they supposed to, you know, present them with a drug test, a urine? What are they supposed to do to begin the process of answering that concern?
1: You know, it, it can. Um, in terms of a formal drug test, you know, I looked into some of your amazing work, you know, and I know congratulations are in order for your Phoenix House Rising um, Award, Thank you. Phoenix Rising Award. Thank uh, you. Yeah, amazing stuff. And, you know, uh, Consistent with that is the idea in parenting of, of honoring feelings and setting clear and consistent limits. Right. Now, right. Um, the idea of being consistent, um, being communicative, that can involve a drug test. Um, I think you know ultimately involves being uh, a part, uh, an active part of your youth life, and looking for changes in their behavior, changes in, in the people that um, they're choosing to spend time with. Um, Maybe changes in their, their active affective state or their mood. Right. Um, changes in their academic performance. Um, yeah, really, you know, it, a lot of fancy stuff, and it comes down to talking to people and a sense of like authentic, authentic connection. Right. You
0: know? And I mean, like, you know, some parents are going to say, well, I've never had that kind of talk with my child. And I think, you know, you're going to say, then that that's partly maybe how they got to this point because the parenting has been maybe arm's length or not as intense. But again, it's not a a bad thing. It's just now it's time to look at what is good and be able to build from there and show them how to parent and be not afraid of their kid or not afraid of their teen or not afraid to ask and push and show because sometimes that means love, doesn't it?
1: It it really does. And I think, you know, the idea of intimacy, um, we use a Strengthening Families program. Right. Um, And beyond that, you know, uh, any strength-based paradigm, is the the understanding that intimacy is not something that you just do. Um, for all of us, it's something you learn. And, you know, there's an immense amount of, of growth potential um, and satisfaction and richness involved for the parents also,
0: you know? Absolutely. So they do whatever they're going to do, and they find that Johnny is or Mary's using or their urine was positive for alcohol or drugs, and, you know, they're concerned. Okay. And, you know, how do they balance then, well, Mike, my- child is supposed to be a teen and they rebel and they're supposed to play and how much when do you cross that <laughs> yeah. line of calling yeah. phoenix house or a provider or somebody
1: you know i think that again coming back to the understanding of an applied idea of compassion or intimacy you know um the adolescent mind developmentally tends to work as you know you know in a sense of black or whites.
0: you know yeah. yes it or does but
1: you know the, the idea of but and i think that something that we focus on here at phoenix house is the idea of and And getting parents to work with the idea coming from their own perspective that they can be a good parent, and their youth can experience difficulties with this. It's a very complicated culture and society that we're in today. Right. And then for the youth, it goes the same way. You know that that um, you know, all the things that are wonderful about you are still wonderful about you, and you can be struggling with a substance abuse addiction. Right. Um. So you know, I can love you, and I can also give you a urine test. I can love you, and I can also you know report when you're in violation of your probation
0: right so i can love you but i still can tell you they you have a problem
1: yeah and I, the only uh, alteration i would make is it's an end i love you and you and know i'm still going to address your problem
0: right And it doesn't and, mean it, I... and
1: really it's beyond that as you know it's it's our problem because there's always system implications and room for growth
0: yes absolutely absolutely are you open to taking a caller with me oh, i'd love to you. Thank Okay. You. hang on angela
2: hi dr sophie hey angela Hi. You're on um, with
0: you're on with myself and Scott from the Phoenix House.
2: Thank you. Um, I have a, a friend, um, and he's come to me with this problem, and I really I don't I don't know what to do, and I know he's really really um, hurting over this. His family uh, uh, there's four in the family: mother, father, two sons. And um, I'm friends with one of the sons. And he, um, they're, they're real, they're alcoholics. They're definitely alcoholics. When they get together, all they do is drink to the point where they literally all black out. And, um, but three of them, including my friend, uh, they're functioning alcoholics. So it has never affected their lives. Their parents have never saw it as an issue. But the youngest son, which is my friend's younger brother, is a non-functioning alcoholic. It is interfering with his life drastically. He's lived wow. in New York, and it's affecting everything. He can't hold a job. Um, he loses things. He's almost gotten into several accidents. Um, and he, the brother has come to me, my friend, saying that, you know, it's affecting my brother. But he, he comes from a family of alcoholics, and nobody is willing to do anything or say anything.
0: Hmm. And he
2: asked me, what should he do? And I have no, you know.
0: Yeah, it's I mean, hard. It's hard. What do you think, Scott? Well,
1: you know, I think the the first thing that comes to mind um, it is Angela. Is that correct?
0: Yes. Yes, it is.
1: Okay. Hi, Angela. Hi. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is the uh, understanding that um, if the drinking is to the extent where people are blacking out, um, then I want to make sure that you know we understand that it is a medical issue, um, right. and I am not a medical doctor, so that's something that I would I would suggest you know that system looking into. Um, So that's one of the things that
0: that's a good way. uh, Excuse me, Scott. That's a good way, Angela, for you to let them know how serious it is that you know a doctor had told you, and that's me, not Scott, that (laughs) you got to get something dealt with. This is a medical issue. You can die from this.
2: I know. I I know. You know. It's kind of like my friend. You know. I mean, he he talks about this almost humorously. You know that we just all black out and then we just go. You know, it's almost they just they have never taken it seriously.
0: But trust me, they're not comfortable, or they wouldn't be even telling you. But right. go ahead, Scott. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. Oh, no,
1: no, it's okay. Um, you know, I think that you've identified um, something, Angela, in the idea of, um, you know, non-functioning versus functioning, functioning addicts, you know? Right. And uh, I think it comes down to, you know, how that person feels about the way they're using and in many ways whether they're ready to change or not, you know? Right. Um, I would hope in that, that youngest male that maybe as, you know, these different areas of his life are impacted negatively, that he would be open to treatment. And, you know, I think that sometimes it does begin um, with friends and friends of the family and people like that being able to um, connect with these individuals. Uh And, and again, I mentioned earlier about our programming at Phoenix House, and not necessarily from a deficit standpoint, but from a standpoint of love and compassion, um, you know, and, and, and listening. Because when we really listen to people, they tell us a lot about what's really going on with them. Uh And I think even if we reflect back to them, they start to develop what we call discrepancy, or an Uh understanding about the real goals that they have in their life are being compromised in the context of, you know, what you're describing in this situation is, you know, kind of what we call a transgenerational theme. It's something that has probably existed as a legacy within their family. (laughs) Right.
0: Right. And that's that's very
1: common, and it's it's very difficult, but it's also very liberating. Um, to be the one to start to address or break that cycle, or even have right. more awareness than a previous generation.
2: Right, right, right. Yes, because he's talked about his grand, his parents, and yeah, they're big drinkers. I guess you'd call them, but you're right. I mean, this is kind of a way of life for them.
1: Right. And yeah, but yeah. You, I, I commend, I commend your caring, Angela. It's, that's the first step. It which, really is. Well, thank you.
0: But you know what, Angela? I think it's also important for you to to make two points to them, and it's not about scaring them, because as Scott was saying earlier. The fear and the, and the, you know, getting in people's faces in the beginning is only going to make them angry and they run. Right. But you want to let them know that, you know, they're comfortable calling themselves alcoholics, but really they are addicts.
2: Right. And I think if right. they
0: hear that word, not, right. not thrown at them as a weapon, but as a reality, that wakes people up a little bit more than that, oh, I'm just a functioning alcoholic, oh, you know, right. versus I'm an right. addict.
2: Right. Because right. it's a, it's a drug.
0: It's a drug. I hear that,
2: yeah. And right. They, Okay, so, so, so should I talk to my friend or uh, directly to his brother or
0: well, together? I, you know, I don't know. What do you think, Scott? <laughs> well, I, you know, I'm not a big
1: proponent of, of shoulds. Um, I think that it, it would probably best serve you um, mm-hmm. to weigh out the situation in terms of your understanding of that family right. and their needs. And first and foremost, like I said, the, the medical issues, um, mm-hmm. and the doctor could speak to this more than I can, um, stopping alcohol uh, quickly. Uh, when you're in the throes of long-term addiction can Mm -hmm. be fatal.
0: Right. It's not like, you know, okay, I'm going to stop today. You can't because your body is going to cry out for it in many different ways, physically and emotionally. So they Uh need to understand that. Just Two things, simple, Angela, you're telling them, that you learned there's a lot of tentacles and and depth to this of stopping. So you can't just stop. And two, it's called an addiction and you're an addict.
1: Okay. I think, um, you know, if I were to meant to suggest something, you know, or invite you to look at something.
0: Uh-huh. Um,
1: they've used the term for themselves as being alcoholics. Right. Um, something that we look for in terms of, of an approach called motivational interviewing um, is the idea of change talk. And that can begin with asking them, hey, you know, can, can you define what being an alcoholic is? And they may surprise themselves in terms of where they really end up with that definition.
2: Because right. it may start out right. with
1: things that are more about euphoric recall and more about the good things, because as we mentioned, there's ambivalence.
0: Right. Human right. beings
1: tend to feel more or think more than one way about right. the same
0: thing, you know? Uh, right. Look at the example oh, yeah. of our,
1: our relatives at the holidays, you know? Right. We love them, and they can really frustrate us, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Right, right, exactly. So, so if we talk to them about that and they start to define it, what's going to come out are going to be some of the things that have really devastated their family. Oh, and yeah, I think if, right. if we can avoid being um a premature agent of change, which means our agenda is to change them and huh. just let them kind of sit with what you know understanding or awareness that they already possess, that huh. can be a decent first step
2: okay absolutely that's yeah that's uh, yeah uh, that sounds great. I would try that. That's a good idea because they use that term alcoholics very loosely,
0: yeah, I'm sure if you sit even in a general you know conversation. They're right. not going to be able to really define it. They think it's right. kind of almost, you know, glamorous.
2: Right. And I, yeah, right, right. And I'd be curious as to how they do, would. I think that's really, yeah, that's a cool approach. Yeah. I think that I would do that. Yeah. That's All nice.
0: right. Okay, Re-
2: thank you very much. Thank
0: you for calling. Call back if oh, you need you. anything or go on the websites.
2: Thank you very much. God right.
0: Appreciate Angela. Thank you. So, Bye-bye. Bye. That was pretty interesting, but I think that's really pretty common for people who are still in an early stage and they're mm-hmm. denying it and it's almost, you know, part of their life and it never hurt sure. my grandfather, so it's not going to hurt me. Tell me yeah. something, Scott. So how explain to people how you would take somebody who you're going to evaluate for substance mm-hmm. abuse treatment, a teen, and how do you go? What's mm-hmm. the process to decide what the next best mm-hmm. step is, inpatient, outpatient, and what the component should be? Well,
1: you know, part of it is um, depending on the referral source. Um, If we're working with um, probation or drug court, you know, there may be a a suggestion um, related to treatment coming from those formal entities, you know. Right. Otherwise, you know, for us, again, it it begins because, you know, the the treatment relationship begins with assessment. Right. Um, So when we work in an individualized and compassionate way, uh, we really want to hear their story from, from their voice. And like you said, uh, Doctor, that gives us an idea of, you know, where they're at. Are they pre-contemplative? Are are they contemplating change, you know, because their motivation to change is going to have a big impact of how well they do and and what program we would suggest for them, whether it be an outpatient program, an inpatient program, or whether they would be more appropriate for a wraparound program. I think something that's very important also right now clinically is really understanding the nature of the co-occurring disorders that may be present. in that youth life.
0: And I fully agree. Tell us more about what you think that what that means. Uh,
1: Well, you know, the issue of co-occurring disorders is what's really happening with the youth, what is really behind their choice to use, choice to want to feel differently, perceive their world differently. Um, That can be shaped very much by issues such as depression and anxiety. With youth, it can be oppositional defiant disorder, conduct disorder, many different diagnoses, which really is basically a set of behaviors, observable behaviors that we see that are negatively impacting that youth life.
0: So it's a uh, mental health issue alongside of the substance abuse.
1: Correct, and I think that the data is showing that more often we're finding that those two things go hand in hand,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and really we're remiss if we don't treat Ab- both. Totally,
0: adults. absolutely, absolutely. All right, let's take another caller. Brad, are you with us? Yes. Hey, Brad, you're with Scott from Phoenix House and Dr. Sophie.
3: Hey, guys. So... What you were talking about just now brings up, that wasn't my original question, but I'm going to ask you two questions if it's okay. Um, And the first one is what you were just talking about. Is there a difference between um, the physical dependence and an addiction? Because a lot of people use that as an excuse, you know, when you try and kind of talk to them about their addiction and and they say, I'm actually more physically dependent on this than I am addicted. Is there a difference in that and how do you answer that with people?
0: Scott, take it away. Brad, you know, I'd first
1: respectfully, look, you know, it sounds like, you know, your goal is to um, be supportive in, in people's lives, you know, in the yeah. context of uh, addiction. And um, for me, the idea of an excuse is, is sort of a trigger because even if it's not a reason, um, there that, that is a viable reason for us, you know. It's something that can help us in terms of communication to understand that individual's perception of what's going on with them. So, I think it's very important information. I know uh, Dr. Sophie mentioned the idea of assessment, and it does really begin with uh, the person's um, story uh, from their voice. Right. Um, you know, and again, Dr. Sophie could speak more to this than I can. Yeah. Um, and the realities of, um, of dependence can be physical in nature also. Yes. Yeah. And, and withdrawal, you know, can be incredibly painful, if not fatal, from some substances. So, there is a physical component um, in terms of. A physical component of predisposition to addiction—a um, lot of controversy out there. Um, and to be honest, in most cases, I'm not sure how supportive that is in terms of um, utilizing the right level of applied compassion and purposefulness in effectively treating people.
0: That's important piece. A couple things, Brad. One is there is a physiologic, meaning the psychological component to an addiction to that drink or that drug. Where your your brain just gets used to it, where you start to a thinking pattern that you ingrain and and you know reinforce daily every time you use it. I feel this way, I take this, and then I feel better. That pattern of thinking becomes ingrained. That's an addiction, and then the physical addiction of your body to the actual substance and the withdrawal it'll go through. And so to prevent that, and the thinking that I feel better when I use this substance. It all becomes a unified, perfect storm to start to continue using. And then that's what takes you into addiction. It's not just use because there's clear criteria of to define drug use, drug abuse and addiction. Yeah. And so if you look that stuff up, you'll see how that's. How it inter- interferes and integrates into different parts and bleeds into different parts of your life to go from just using to becoming an addict. So.
3: It's so hard to decipher the difference and to and to draw a distinctive line with some people. I have a friend who, you know, is it's questionable as to whether or not she's it's an addiction or if she's physically dependent. And then once treatment is done, when do you get back into? Like, hey, let's just go have a drink, you let's, know, kind of deal. Yeah. I mean, because cause before, you know what I mean? It was set up that way with me before. And so I have a hard time deciding if it's ever a good time to go back and have a drink or if, yeah. if
0: she's sucking in, in or what.
1: <laughs> that's yeah, I tough. Speak to this for
0: a moment? Yeah, sure. Please.
1: Brad, one of the, one of the things that's interesting, and I'm not sure how well articulated this is going to be, so I'll preface it with that. And, though, you know, I. Uh, one common denominator that I found with people that are predisposed to addiction are challenges, um, much like we all have, uh, related to um, the idea of self soothing, the relationship we have with our own emotions. And I think when you mention um, the ambiguity in that line between what's physical and what's not physical, um, we have to look at the idea of what's not physical because our emotions are really physical, they're chemical in nature. Um, so it's, it's something important to consider that. It, it is really a, a physical phenomenon, even if it is at an emotional level.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, Brad, I don't know if you heard earlier, we were talking about the convergence of a mental health issue along with these substances. as one trigger the other? And then there's the genetic component that goes along, possibly. But if you have somebody who's really confusing of whether they really are an addict or an abuser or and you look and as the doctor or someone like Scott who trains and treats this kind of stuff you look at the triggers of a lot of these things and if someone is being triggered because they're in a situation that creates anxiety and then that's what they're doing they're self-medicating themselves but during their day or during their other parts of their life they're not needing that medication then you really do have a mental health issue that's really triggering and I think you treat that along with the, the use of an abuse issue, and then you see what residual is left to answer the question, can we go out and have a drink? Is there a setup besides that mental health issue? So, I mean, there's a lot of pieces to it, but you got to really take it all apart.
3: Yeah. The mental health part of it is once that's treated, it seems like you, if that's the issue, then it'd be fine to go out and socialize and drink socially and everything, but if it's a substance abuse, that may be more tricky. Is that kind of a...
0: Well, you know, I don't know. You know, Scott, you you can speak to that first. Go ahead.
1: I feel concerned about, you know, making a blanket response to that. Yeah, um, there, there's a whole school of, of substance abuse treatment um, known as harm reduction. And in that, that harm reduction paradigm is the understanding that people are going to have different goals related to the outcome that they want from their substance abuse treatment. So it really ultimately is honoring their voice and their choice in that. And I think really you have to look at the individual's dynamics with their use, their relationship with their usage, and and again how in the end how it negatively impacts different areas of their life. Right. For some people, you know, they really cannot have a, a drink in a social situation, and perhaps they can't even have the exposure, direct exposure. You know, maybe for the rest of their life. Right. Um, but you really have to find out, you know, uh, from that person what they're comfortable with, and you know where they are in their treatment.
0: Yeah. So. I mean, many times in treatment, I, Scott, I, you can. Speak to this too. I've seen many people who have to go through the loss and the mourning of that coping skill of alcohol or drugs, Mm, because it's almost been a best friend.
1: Wow, that's interesting. And that's brilliant, uh, Dr. Sophie, because you know we mentioned before the understanding of ambivalence, And, and inevitably, what that means in this case is that you know looking at what you may get positively from your addiction. We talked about belongingness, usefulness, and competency. Well, you know things that are core to our existence, like our relationship with other people that can be defined in the context of our usage. So I'll use the example of a heroin addict. Um, they have skills in the context of their addiction, and they have connections with other people, a culture of people, based on that addiction. You know, um, yeah. to, to dishonor that and say that that doesn't have validity in their life is, is to dishonor some fundamental human needs.
0: Right, exactly, um, because it's become is, their buddy.
1: Exactly. Is that the outcome you know, that they're seeking in their life, you know? Um, you know, most of us would really hope not. And, though, if we just try to confront it and say, this is bad and I'm going to offer you what's good, simply alienates people that the data supports that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. They're only going to run out the door because you're taking a, their best friend away. And, right, and, and, so right. It's, and, and you it's may it's be nonsense. literally
1: taking their best friends away because their best friends are users. Right. You know? When we talk about competency, they have skills on the streets that we don't have, and, and believe me, in no way am I advocating addiction or, or heroin addiction specifically, what what I am saying, though, is um, alienating people and not hearing their story does not allow us to properly address their substance abuse issues or their, their um, mental health issues either.
0: Right. One of the biggest things I've had to learn all through my career is to really be able to see what is being triggered off inside of me and in interacting with them so that I can yeah. keep it in check and I don't kind of confront people or go into their face because I have a but you know a passionate feeling about something. I've got yeah. to be able to keep myself in check, and the only way you're going to do that is to know yourself best first. Absolutely, absolutely. So,
3: I, so. I'll, I'll let you guys go. I just had one follow-up question to all of that. Then does it end? I mean, does the treatment, whether it's physical dependence or addiction, does that ever actually end, or how, how do you end it if it does?
0: Well, I mean, I can speak from a physical perspective. Yes, it ends. You wean off, you go through detox, and you transition, and there might be a couple steps of prescription things that you need to get that step a little bit easier and not so rough, and then you're done, unless you have some you know, underlying mental health issue that really has to have medication. Otherwise, you look at all kinds of other treatments, from acupuncture to whatever, to support those mental health issues. But from the substance abuse side, you know, Scott, Scott can talk more about that.
1: I think that um, in terms of does it ever end... Uh, I'm, I'm going to give a very general answer to that, and that our growth as people you know uh, myself, Brad, Dr. Sophie included, I think we could say it never ends
0: throughout it, our life right. it shouldn't you know? it shouldn't end
1: and, and our relationship with our our emotions and our our understanding of why we make the choices that we make never ends, um, like you said, you know whether someone um, does uh, receive support from taking ongoing medications or ongoing involvement in uh, in substance abuse groups or, you know, uh, maybe periodic inpatient treatment. Um, it really depends on their individual circumstances.
0: Right. And I mean, just going to a meeting, whether it's once a month, once a week, twice a day, whatever it is, is a check-in on your emotions, believe it or not, and you're limiting yeah. and you're taking the pressure off that pressure valve of your emotions, which is oftentimes the trigger for many users and addicts. So, I mean, you know, you may think, well, is, does the treatment end? Yeah, maybe technically it might, in, you know, where you're not in the, in the inpatient unit or you're not in a structured outpatient, but you're still going to maintain some connection to that pressure release and check-in of your emotions, no matter who I love are. what
1: you said about that in the context of externalizing because, um, and, and the idea of countertransference, that you mentioned earlier, you know, just being aware of yourself. If I don't express my emotions myself, I'm going to act them out. It's, it's a reality yeah. of human nature.
0: And, and see, Brad, that's what I meant that like brain thinking. That yeah. if you're going to act them out, you're going to act them out the way that your brain usually knows that, oh, oh I, I take th- this, I feel better, so I'm going back to that.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting stuff, guys. Uh, Dr. Sophie, I appreciate your podcast. Thank you very It's really informative and, and very much needed, and I hope more people will tune into him because it's you. great. And Scott, thanks for being on and sharing your info today, too. It's great stuff.
1: Thank, thank you, Brad. It was very nice to talk to you.
0: Take care. Okay. thank you. Very interesting stuff. I think it's, you know, things that many people need to know, want to know. Sometimes they don't even know how to ask, Scott. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So do you then decide after you're doing this kind of check-in on the team that mom and dad bring in or call you about deciding which route they'll go in or outpatient, and then you just kind of monitor that for the next appropriate step?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, in the end, it would be great to have a, a structured model of, um, Continuums of care, which, you know, is, is really a nonlinear model because, uh, you know, what's happening with us for whatever reason can change, and that's not really a linear, linear from assessment, um, identification, um, looking at the idea of sustainability of functioning to potential of outpatient services. Um, we mentioned, uh, you know, newer models like WRAP services, are in-home types of models. Right. And then all the way to residential, you know. Um,
0: Absolutely. And, right. so, and isn't it true, though, that don't you find that sometimes someone can make it through of the many steps, trip and fall and have to go back a little bit? And that's okay?
1: Yeah. And, you know, a big focus of that, that's a, that's a wonderful question, because a big focus of what we're doing, um, and this, this does in many ways come from the wraparound model, is really focus on the idea of sustainability, because what can happen, um, I believe, um, in the context of residential treatment is you can develop skills, that are specific to accomplishing your substance abuse goals, especially abstinence, because it's definitely more difficult to use in the context of receiving that level of support and and security in a residential facility. Um, So what we're working to do with our youth is to integrate families more into uh, treatment, um, support their understanding, um, psychoeducation related to what we've talked about so far in terms of transgenerational themes, in terms of family systems work, um, we look toward the recruitment of um, informal supports, which does come from the wraparound paradigm, and is huge. You know, uh, we're in their lives for a very short amount of time. There are people that are going to be in their lives forever. Right. And, and the- we have to. We have to. Yeah, we have to acknowledge the the strength and the importance of those people. Recruit them. Um, support the families in in mending those relationships because very often they've been damaged, um, whether it's mental illness or whether it's you right, know substance right. abuse. So.
0: And many times those damaged relationships were the triggers for the substance abuse in the first place. Yeah, we
1: all need that sense of connection. Right.
0: Yeah. Very good stuff. So where do we go from here? I mean, after they come out, then you'll see what they need. And, and you oftentimes at Phoenix House turn them over to their local provider, or do you guys, you know, kind of continue that stuff?
1: Yeah. I mean, our services are community-based. Right. Um, so it's looking for referrals in the community. And And they don't have to necessarily do with um, substance abuse treatment, per se. I mean, um, if the youth needs uh, an outlet that's going to be more productive, more in line with what their goals are in their life, um, then we try to connect them with those things also, whether it be a gym or, you know, something of a spiritual nature, if that's something they're interested in, um, uh, outpatient-type services are a potential, um, um, family therapy services, uh, yeah,
0: it all, it all is dictated by the family, and as they go through the process, you guys have your eyes on them and then start to make recommendations. Absolutely. What, what, Absolutely. what do we tell parents who are worried, well, what if I put my child inpatient or they're in outpatient programs during the day? How are they going to get school credits?
1: Um, well, we do have um, school on site here, Great. and um, it is very individualized in the approach that is utilized. So they won't fall behind, and in most cases, Doctor Stuffy, they do end up catching up on many of their credits because you know they have the support of um, our direct care staff here, um, as well as our school staff.
0: Okay, and so parents should not worry about that. Number one, but number the most important thing besides that is that school can't function anyway if they're not clean and they're not focused and sober. So that has to take precedence.
1: Yeah, I mean, often uh, you know the the youth has organized their life socially. To some extent, around you know the, the issue of using, and that's very prevalent within their school environment,
0: also. Got it. Okay. So, are we? Are you guys out in your community talking about any of this stuff? And are you in places educating people, getting your info out?
1: We do. We do get out there, and, and you know, this has been an incredible opportunity. So things like this
0: are wonderful. Good. Okay. So, with me today is Scott Van Camp. He's from. He's the director of Orange County Adolescent Services for the Phoenix House, and he's talking to us about wraparound models and different Mm -hmm. kinds of treatment and assessments and what inpatient Mm -hmm. is and what outpatient is. And he's also a licensed marriage and family therapist. You have your own practice as well, don't you? Um, Yeah, I do. Yay. Okay. And so that keeps you kind of grounded where you're actually doing the work besides directing the work. Correct. And that's all good. So um, what else do you want to say before we sign off here about teens and substance abuse and their treatment? What do you think is the most profound thing that people would want to hear from you?
1: (laughs) You know, maybe it's less profound uh, what I have to say and I guess the extent in which they listen to their children and the amount of being present that they utilize when they do listen to their children, Um, being in that moment with their child um, so they can hear what's going on.
0: Well, let me tell Uh, you, that's pretty darn profound. So hearing and listening to your children, not just hearing them. Yeah. Got it.
1: Yeah. I mean, people's intentions are wonderful. And I, I think that um, we get into patterns, um, definitely, again, myself included, and sometimes those patterns are, are not productive in our lives. And, uh, you know, it, it's uh, also a matter of, of knowing when to get some outside support and knowing that that's not a sign of weakness, you know. Um, I have an incredible amount of reverence and respect for every client that I work with, and I learn just as much from them as they learn from me.
0: Got it. Thank you for your time and your expertise. We really appreciate it.
1: I enjoyed it very much. Thank you, Dr. Sophie. And Again, congratulations on your Phoenix Rising Award.
0: Thank you very much. So on the phone with me was Scott Van Camp. He's the director of Orange County Adolescent Services for the Phoenix House, which is a really great treatment modality service provider for inpatient, outpatient, teen substance abuse with great integrated mental health treatment alongside of it to deal with that comorbidity and the uh, Problems that oftentimes go along with substance abuse that don't necessarily get identified or treated, which is the mental health component, because there is co-occurring disorders. That means they happen together, mental health and substance abuse. So you got to look at the whole picture or you can't treat the whole person. So Phoenix House is great at at looking at that model and really implementing it and getting it out there. So we're really happy to have had Scott on. We talked a lot about, we had some callers calling in about treatment issues in general and how do you know if someone is an uh, a addict, is someone really an alcoholic even though they think that they function, differences, what does that look like? Talked a lot about a lot of stuff. So we're really glad you were here with us today. Calling me at 1-855-SOPHIE-NOW or 1-855-767-4966. It's really important that we take a focus on our teens and looking at their substance abuse versus their... Plain old playing around in rebellion because in every school you can be sure it is in schools today, all drugs that you can imagine, alcohol mostly, uh, marijuana second, and then there's all the dribs and drabs of the prescription drugs and other drugs that kids are getting their hands on. But we're way past what it used to be, and I think we really do need to raise that awareness. So please listen in, call in, email, whatever it is, any question, because we want to make sure that you as the parent are informed and have the tools that you need And I think Scott said it best as he was signing off that the best and most important tool is to hear and listen to your child early on so that you build that relationship, you hear what they're saying, you learn, and you understand what's going on in their lives. You're not just sitting there saying, yes, I'm listening to you, but you're not really connected. So you got to hear and listen, and you got to stay with your child and really maintain that relationship. You are not your child's friend. Parenting begins with you the solid parent so 1855 sophie now or 1855 767 4966 we're always here taking all your calls your voicemails or your emails again follow me on twitter and facebook for any updates visit itunes to download the full version of andy Grammer's keep your head up and of all things most importantly don't forget to sweep
1: but you gotta keep your head up oh, and you can let your head down
0: your head down.